From across the pond, this is Off the Record with Big C. And thank you, Shaggy. Here is Big C indeed, and this is Off the Record. It's episode ooh, 65, which is season three, episode five. Now, as anybody who's watching on Facebook at the moment can tell, there's no Stinky Pete here today. He is elsewhere. Obviously, some important business, much more important than appearing with me on Off the Record. He's in Chipping Norton, apparently. We were just discussing this, actually. We don't know whether Chipping Norton is what he's actually doing or it's actually where he is. It's one of the two, anyway. Norton, that's a real, like, computer security software as well, isn't it, Norton? I was thinking more as a motorbike, but um, and it's a motorbike, one of these yeah. d- dangerously handsome petrol head types, you know, in my youth. Yes, <laughs> as you can see, Norton. Yeah, I remember that was just still big Norton the bikes. Anyway, this is Gordon, by the way, yep. Gordon Wallace, who's joining me back for his what third, fourth appearance? I can't remember. I would when. say at least fourth. Fourth, at at least. least four. Okay. Well, Gordon Wallace, uh, you can tell us all about. But Norton, yeah, the bike is it's still going strong, is it? Because I remember yes. it was big in the big in the late seventies and early eighties. But obviously, yeah. it is. I'm not a great motorbike fan, so I don't really know. To be fair, the what is the only motorbike that's mentioned in the Bible? Do you know that one, Colin? I no, I don't. Tell me. Uh, and the roar of his triumph was heard throughout the land. Ah, I thought true, there might true, be a joke there somewhere. True story, no true story. Well, anyway, Gordon, who is in Stinky Pete's absence, we have Stinky Pete's dealer, allegedly his vinyl dealer. And this is what we're always told. In fact, you did try to deliver some vinyl to him this week, so you uh, He's still, yeah. he's still employing you after all this time. Yeah, but as I say, it might have been a, a, a nine-album plant pot that he got delivered if he didn't get it off his step in time, so we can only pray for <laughs> yeah, his vinyl. It's pretty hot the last few days in the UK, that's for sure. Cooler today, cooler today. So we're only 22 degrees at just gone 10 p.m., so you know it could be a lot worse. But what we are going to do, I decided we have a bit of a gap. We haven't done one for a while but we've got um, a sort of a series which, when people come on, guests, listeners, viewers, or whatever, can come on and tell us their 20 Desert Island tracks or Desert Island songs. So the, the ones, basically, your 20 favourite songs or 20 favourite tracks, ones that you, if you're stuck on a desert island and you have some sort of electricity supply, I guess, then you and a turntable, maybe streaming on a streaming device of some sort. A streaming device, yeah. Take your phone as long as the battery doesn't run out. You, you know, it's that'll be a nightmare, wouldn't it? Uh, and Gordon has come on to do that with us tonight. So he's got his he's done a little list of his 20 favorite tracks, he's going to run through them. Hopefully, we'll know them. Obviously, I haven't asked anybody this week for their own lists. Uh, people are welcome to come on if anyone's really keen on coming on and uh, discussing their favourite 20 songs. Had two or three on so far, and I'm sure there are a few others lined up too. But Gordon's come on to do it, and uh, yeah, musical odyssey. Yes. How did you How did you work it out? I mean, did you? I, I started with the the first songs that really 
you know, I remember just sticking in the brain and uh, being my, the whole reason that I became sort of obsessed, this unhealthy obsession with music that's carried on today. So it'll just be that. It'll be an odyssey right through. Uh, to be honest, this is probably going to stop about 1988, like Pete. I think Pete, Pete will say music ended in 1984, I think, is that his cut-off? I think he might have gone a little bit higher than that. A wee bit so, higher, but certainly through the nineties, he was. Uh, I did asleep. try to 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 put some later stuff in, but if if I'm being true to myself, and and the ones that have stuck with me, they will mainly be, you know, up to that era and and it stick pretty much there. Although I do listen to some new music, quite a bit of new music. It doesn't seem to impact the way that these formative ones. I've yeah. done, you know, so I'm resonate. sure that's true for a lot of us. Yeah, resonate. Very good. Word, yeah. I mean, I know yeah. what you mean. I think if I was doing this list, I think well, maybe I should. I should have something from the 90s and the, and from the 21st century mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to sort of spread it out. But when you actually, if you're doing your own list, then yeah. you know, don't put them in just for the sake of it. Yes. I mean, Nick Key very nearly got in with quite a few and some later um, uh, Tom Waits. But, uh, as I say, it's, it's the cream of the crop. Excellent. Okay. Well, in what order have you done them? Have you done them in right. sort of any chronological order? Or are you doing them in no, Not particularly order? chronological, but I was just j- jotting them down, and, and they, they seem to take a natural formation of their own, one leading to another one. So, uh, But certainly not a chronological order, order of when they came out but possibly a chronicle order of when you know i discovered them like some people i i I didn't i didn't really get the beatles until maybe mid 80s you know i think before that they were just just ubiquitous band that was there everywhere Mm. but it wasn't until i really delved into the albums that you know most of the nuggets was were there because the rest of the stuff was just burned into the psyche you know everybody knows every Beatles song and the ones that really impacted me were the album tracks that maybe weren't so well known. So they're not in any order that they came out necessarily, although most would be. But certainly the 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 the, the, the way that I, I heard them or embraced them. And I'm, I'm expecting that there isn't going to be anything by Renaissance or Weather Report or uh, Pink Floyd or Yes or whatever that yes, uh, the, the, Pete the, might, the, might have been uh, keen on. The proggers amongst you can get a right early night and, <laughs> and tune in again next week when Pete is here. Pete he would have a, he would have a, a sneer, a disdainful sneer if he's seen what was sitting before me at this time. as not a Floyd track in sight. I think we might be doing Bruce Springsteen next week, actually. Are you a Springsteen fan? I'm a massive Springsteen fan and there will yeah, be a, there's a, a Springsteen of- on there. Well, I mean, it's possible. Maybe we could squeeze a third one on. I don't know. But we've got, we've got Jackie coming back on, and we've got uh, John, who yeah, they were going to do a Springsteen show a few weeks back, but both pulled out at the 11th hour, unfortunately. All so right. Pete and I did a chart in the end. So we penciled in next Wednesday. So, And Pete and I oh. weren't going to do any. We were just going to listen to their 10 yeah, Springsteen songs. Yeah, yeah, maybe we could stretch it to 30. We've done 40 in the past before. We've had four people and... uh, That would have been popping along at a pace, I would imagine. 
but we digress. We we digress. Yes. So I'm interested to hear what you've uh, what you've got then. No right. bagpipes. I'm I'm reliably no, no. informed by yourself. There's no, there's no Scottish country dancing. And, no and Andy that, Stewart. No Andy. And this sadly is the music that when I was young, my, my parents are, were quite old. So I, I always went with these people who had, you know, got, got the stones and the animals and, and the Beatles passed on to them, you know, at their, with their mother's milk. My, mine's were uh, uh, the Alexander brothers and Jimmy Shand and, and what Billy Connolly memorably, memorably described as men who would wink at you while they were <laughs> singing, you know, the, in, the, in the Gaelic sort of thing. Yeah, so, I know what you mean. Yeah, that, that that left me cold. But I had brothers and sisters who used to, you know, play stuff, 60s stuff. And my earliest memories is, you know, listening to the radio. But the first song I think I ever stopped me in my tracks and I thought, what, what is that? And I didn't even know what it was that drew me. And it was the baseline introduction, to which to this day I still think is unsurpassed. And it was a, I think it was a bonfire night around about 1970 or 71. And I can remember Frida Payne's Band of Gold. And just coming out. And then it's, I still to this day don't know what the instrument is that just comes in at the end of the bass line. Somebody more musically savvy than me would be able to tell you, but I just thought that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Frida Payne's Band of Gold. And to this day, I cannot hear that introduction without turning it up. Uh, yeah, it's a crowd. Oh, it's just amazing. And, and and I loved soul music without knowing really, you you know, that that was a genre. Uh, even stuff like, uh, I remember Clarence Carter's Patches used to sit in the O.C. Smith, the son of Hickory Hollers, tramp. I loved all these kind of, stories, soul story songs, and that mm. led on to stuff like uh, Chairman of the Board and, you know, just so many good early 70s bands. But Frida was the one, and as a great, very underrated, sometimes written off as a one-hit wonder, but it was certainly much more than that. Some great stuff, but it was never... Sorry, certainly a number one. Number one hit, yeah, I think. number one hit. N- never surpassed it. Uh, just so really, really strong. I'm just uh, looking at the uh, instrumentation on it. Um, instrumentation by the Funk Brothers, like a number <laughs> of uh, songs. Um, but I wonder whether the instrument you're talking about is the electric sitar. I think it must be because it was just dun, 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 and then it clanked in. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dennis of course, it was Cindy that joke. Who was that? Dennis Coffey. All right. C-R-F-F-E-Y. <laughs> it's quite, a, I mean, for a song that was so, you know, brilliant, it has a really sort of dark, depressing story. And I, I heard recently somebody who got it played as their their opening, the, the song that they came down the aisle and got married to. And of oh, course, really? a, a cursory look at the lyrics will tell you it's about, you know, <laughs> A man's inability to perform on his wedding night, shall we say. So <laughs> I thought the guy was taking a bit of a chance there, but uh, superb, superb song, Frida, and uh, a Holland, Holland Dozier Holland, who were just geniuses, obviously, in mm. Motown, but they had, they, had, they had stepped out on their own by that time and were, were 
starting to build a roster of artists. Uh, just tremendous. And as I say, still an all-time favourite, still in a, on my all-time mixtape, you would say. Yeah, oh, yes, I remember the old mixtapes. The mixtape. Uh, my first mixtape was, I think, in 1972. I, I think that's a little bit after... <laughs> Frida Payne. That was in seventy, mm-hmm. wasn't it? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she had. Um, I mean, she was from Detroit. Um, bigger hit here, actually. Made number three in the states. Yeah. But over there, she had another ooh, couple of top. Yeah. So send the boys home. Send the boys back home, man. In Vietnam War and and quite a few others. Bring the boys home. Yeah. Bring the boys yeah. home was in June seventy one, um, and yeah. A few others, deeper and deeper. These are in the US. I'm not, I'm not sure she had too many in the UK. No, uh, but cherish one of these what is dear to you, etc. Et she kind of jumped about for label to label, just trying to get that elusive sort of second big massive hit, and and, and never really came for her. So never really came. no shame. But as I say, for then I was as as glued to a radio, and like you say, our wee cassettes, the wee portable ones. You know, mm, that's the, the one. Fingers down, microphone <laughs> yes. in between the two speakers on a Sunday night. Absolutely. Editing out Tony Blackburn wherever possible. Uh, Absolutely. I, yeah. I, and that was that was how I accessed sort of music until I remember being in probably the first year at high school and going to my pal's house. Who's, they were slightly posher than us. We would always have these. Either a dance set or these music centres. Remember the music centres? The music centre. Yeah. Your cassette. EMI. EMI music centre or something. Yeah, they they all had them. Hitachi, EMI, you Mm. know, everything. Turntable, vertical cassette player, and then a a radio sort of tuner on the front. And I went to my friend's house and they had the first ever proper hi-fi that I ever saw. A garret turntable, I think a Rotel amplifier. It was always Wharfdale speakers in those days. And I was baffled at this stuff. Why is your why is your music centre all broken like that? You know, all the, all the bits of... <laughs> it's not all stuck together. <laughs> why is it not glued together? Let's glue this baby together and get it looking proper. And he played... Uh, he says, oh, no, this is a hi-fi. I said, all right, let me hear it. And the, 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 the very first song that he put on it, uh, he, he only had, they only had two albums at the time. And the very first song I put on was my second in my list was Hurricane, the Bob Dylan, the lead-off track from Desire. Desire, yeah. And it was this, you know, fantastic violin sound, uh, which has been well documented or, or mythologized, shall we say, since then. But it sounded unlike anything I'd ever heard. There, was, there wasn't any pop music in the charts that sounded like that. And of course, no, I had this ten-minute narrative about Hurricane Carter, uh, and I just thought this was another planet, and you know, this this was the future. And strangely enough, the only other album they had was Rumours. Uh, so it would be about seventy-seven or something like that. Seventy, I'm trying to think, seventy-six. Seventy-seven 77 was Rumours. Yeah, I think seventy-six was a little bit before, wasn't it? Uh, sorry, yeah. was, uh, Desire was seventy-six, I think. Yeah, that was the two. Rumours. The single was released in November 75, um, but the album was, I thought was 76. I remember listening to, yeah, it was January 76. I remember uh, on Capital Radio, was it, I think? 
London's capital radio. There was a DJ called Nicky Horn. Yeah. And he had this, he played this uh, rundown of uh, albums, hit albums of, of the time every, every week. And Desire was one that he played. Your Mother Wouldn't Like It, I think was the name of the show. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Desire was one. And a, and a Blue For You, Status Quo was on there as well, which I love. All right. Was, there were so many, so many good albums coming at that time. Yeah. There's yeah. a couple of good... I know I, we weren't going to talk prog, but um, a couple of good Genesis albums around that time as well. It was Trick of the Tail and Wind and Rothering came out that uh, in that sort of time period as well. I'm sure you yeah. won't have any of those in your list. No, 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 nothing. The only Wuthering I have would, would annoy Pete because it would have heights at the end of it. So, uh, yeah, no, not for me. Uh, Hurricane, as I say, it, it just it kind of blew me. And it started a lifelong passion for uh, hi-fi as well that's emptied my pockets on a regular basis ever since. Mm. And to the bafflement of my good lady who cannot tell the difference between my carefully put together hi-fi and these wee sort of Alexa speakers that you get, you know, for like 25 quid. Yeah, has yeah, absolutely yeah. cannot differentiate between them, which is... Pretty depressing. If you're going to hear music, you've got to hear it well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. And as you know, I do I do the odd wee record fair and things like that. And, and it's no any kind of musical snobbery, but people will come up to me and say, you know, well, this record doesn't sound very good on my system. And you find out they're playing it on a, a 30 quid turntable. The record actually costs more than the turntable. <laughs> and the, the needles are destroying it. But how can you say that without being us looking like a bit of a condescending, yeah, yeah. patronising old geezer, you know, that yeah, you yeah. just really feel like saying, don't buy any records for six months and save up and buy yourself a, a, a nice entry-level turntable, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and really hear them as they're meant to be. But uh, as I say, that was that was Hurricane. Was uh, Good song, good album. Good album, and really a lifelong affair, a love affair with Bob as well. Uh, but then... It, it's interesting you were saying about the prog stuff coming out because what really happened up here in Scotland at that time, I don't know if it was the same down your neck of the woods, was there was really a lot of tribalism. So if you liked sort of punk and new wave stuff like that, you never liked prog, you know. Uh, we had it the same. Yeah, and same. so you would you would have the, usually the prefects and educated sort of sixth formers with their Genesis and Floyd albums under their arm, and you would have the, the sort of snotty Herberts uh, run about with the Ramones. Uh, yep, uh, it's a, yeah, and the, I remember the one that really decided for me what, what sort of camp I was going to be in. Again, I always have a thing with introductions. That, you know, they, they just sort of grab me by their lapels and say, listen, listen to this, and it was... Uh, Spanish Stroll, number three on my, my oh, list. Mendeville. Spanish, and that great sort of chiming guitar intro that comes in. Uh, and to be, I don't think it is particularly a punk or new wave song. It just... It got, it got lumped like in, in, didn't it? Yeah, it got lumped in. Uh, and Willie DeVille was, you know, very underrated. I know him and Mr Costello, mother great hero, never particularly... Uh, so ITI when they toured there was a bit of en- enmity there all, all through their careers until oh, really? yeah, well they passed away but 
he did make some really strong albums as well, Willie. But again, I like Frida. Never really, you know, got that big second hit that would have took him maybe off and running. So Spanish Stroll remained his one. Sorry, I think he's one real big hit over here. Oh, definitely, yeah. I'm not. Sure. I presume it was a hit in the states as well. Yeah, I think it was. Although I'm not sure. It, it it's went the sort of thing that might be bigger here than it would be in America, actually. Mm-hmm. I know, obviously, an American, but um, it would have been, yeah. Were they not one of the bands? Hence, they got bracketed in with a punk and new wave, presumably yeah. that started off at at CBGB's club. I don't, I don't know if they were that, or I was got a feeling while he was, he was a sort of sort of New Yorker, but I always thought he was quite deep south as well. Uh, so I don't know if he moved, but he always seemed to be. Um, a wee bit of chameleon for me. Yeah, but I mean, Spanish Stroll is a very um, sort of deep south record as well. And Puerto, like obviously Puerto Rican influences and things like that. And his later stuff was always kind of New Orleans, Le Chat Blue and um, some of his albums like that. So I, I never really knew where he actually came from. I should have actually probably looked it up. Uh, well, uh, Mink DeVille were... They're based in San Francisco. Ah, right. Um, but Willie DeVille, let's have a look at Willie DeVille, American singer-songwriter. He was born in Stamford, Connecticut. Well, there you go. So a bit of a mishmash at all, all oh. the styles. And Mink DeVille was a house band at CBGB. CBGB's, yeah. That's what I'm saying. City Nightclub. I always associated them with the kind of New York scene, you know, but I, I, I had a feeling that that wasn't where they came from, but lost in the midst of time. I can't even find it in my book here. It's one of those yeah. surnames, isn't it? Like Mink DeVille. I look under M. should look under M. It doesn't come under M. I look under DeVille. And, yeah. But I think it was yeah. a top 20 hit here, I know, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, and it's, it's much loved to, to this day, you know. It's... Men of a certain age will have a warm glow when when they hear the opening strains of it coming in, and still sounds fantastic. Still sounds fresh. Yeah, it's a good song. But I'd yeah. say any anything that came out around about that time would automatically be bracketed in, like Elvis Costello, yeah. like Judge Jackson, uh, any one of that sort of. Uh, I, yeah. I think even maybe well, no Graham Parker maybe was another yeah one. yeah they were they were all lumped in. Graham Parker toured famously with so say Johnny and Asbury Dukes. A great double bill that would have been. So they were all bracketed in. Oh, yes. Yeah, so uh, Johnny. Yeah, so said Johnny. Uh, obviously, Tom Springsteen's band, wasn't he? Sorry? Was he, he was in Springsteen's No, he, was, he, he just he came up in the same bit of Asbury. Uh, oh, and right, he played okay. with them. And um, uh, what's his name? Uh, God, that's right. Springsteen, Miami Steve uh, produced oh, yeah, the, yeah. the early albums. And Springsteen wrote a lot of the tracks on the early albums. Uh, so yes, okay, yeah, it made number twenty in nineteen seventy seven. Was that a little Oh, I thought it was high in it. No, but, no, it was. It, it wasn't a, like a massive hit. No, I thought a it cult, just cult hit maybe. A cult hit. So in a the cult. states, a Spanish stroll was not actually either. It wasn't a hit or it wasn't released because it didn't make the billboard. Really, that's astounding. No, astonishing. No, one song did. By them uh, in 84, believe it or not, 
and that was called Each Word's a Beat of My Heart. Well, there you go. Willie DeVille. I would have, I would have bet the farm on that one. That, that was a, that was a, a top twenty hit in, in America. But uh, it's not so. To continue the narrative, so obviously you had all these, as you say, all these bands lumped in, and you even mentioned my next one, uh-huh. who uh, <laughs> again, I, I have these wee snapshots in my head of where I first heard things, and I remember <laughs> cooking uh, for my tea. Do you know, remember these Vesta sort of chow mains that you used to get? Vaguely, vaguely. The dried <laughs> ingredients. And they, they were basically sachets of powder and and dried lumps and you added water. <laughs> then this sludge kind of appeared and you, you deep fried noodles and everything on it. Yeah, yeah I was, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I was making my Vesta chow mein and the radio was cranked up. And this really, really strange tempo and song came on that had a really, really vicious chorus. And I think, what? What is this? What what madness is this? And by the end of the second time the chorus came on, I was singing along. And it was, as you say, Joe Jackson, is she really going out with him? Oh, what a great Which, record. Oh, but it was... It, you forget how strange it was at that time. It didn't come on, you know, uh, even the opening, like Pretty Woman uh, with Gorillas Down My Street, which at the time I remember Joe yes. getting quite a bit, get <laughs> stick for people saying it was racist, but it wasn't even racist. It just meant, you know, big, thick, knuckle, knuckle dragger Absolutely. type. Um, so it, it had all this true vitriol and he was obviously very angry about his, his lack of success with the ladies or, or possibly with the gents, as I think Joe's since came out. But uh, at that time, it was it was obviously targeted to, to women. Is she really going out with them? Yeah. Uh, and I remember just thinking, well, this guy's, this needs further investigation. So I went out and bought uh, the sharp. first album. Yeah, yeah look sharp. With yeah. that iconic cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with the white Absolutely, shoes yeah. and the shadows. Black and white, Black and white yeah. cover, yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's, I think his second album was actually stronger. I'm the man. Had, had better. His voice was a bit stronger and the songs were a wee bit more well-defined. And I loved them all the way up to, you know, I think when he went away off to, to America, maybe lost him about the mid-80s. Uh, never followed his releases after that, but yeah, again, great songwriter, bracketed in with your Costellos and your, your uh, Graham Parker and the Rumours and all these people who meant so much to me, but in his own own right, I think he was very underrated, Joe. Uh, great sense of melody, classically trained as well. Mm. Yeah, he's a great songwriter, I must admit. Is it there's, there's a lady that I used to know, she's married now or engaged... Or something. Something. So I'm told. Yeah, aye, aye. So I'm married now and something. So I'm told. If looks could kill, yeah, <laughs> there's a man there who's mowed down as dead because I've had my fill. I, I, as I say, I could just quote the whole thing. It just was a great narrative. And the Vesta Chow Main, I think, was particularly good that night as well. So sadly, you can still get them. It's a winner. It's a winner. <laughs> Everything's a winner. Yeah. You, you, yeah. When you're saying Vesta, I keep thinking you're saying Vespa. We're back to the bikes again, are we? No, no, as well. That's it. When, 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 when they tasted like the bike saddle, I think, at the time. But uh, 
uh, it was that that was of course we're talking a time people will forget you know Chinese takeaways were certainly not ubiquitous up in Scotland there was I think there was one in my whole village oh really uh, oh yeah and, and and people thought it was the weirdest tasting thing ever and it was certainly never going to catch on and I remember the first time I got rice and, and chicken curry and rice and I thought this is just foul in the 70s? Yeah, I would, that would be about 1976 or 1977. Mid-70s, yeah. Like so, uh, the, I mean, I think in London they were fairly common from early 70s up, down, down that London way. But I thought it was also a bit of a, a, light, a light developer in that department as well. My mum and dad weren't particularly adventurous. And so, you know, Chinese... Uh, Chinese restaurants. I don't remember. I don't remember much in uh, in Epping, even in Essex, where I grew up. Um, but yeah, strange. But you, you're not in a huge village. I mean, you say village, so it's not even a town, is it? You're where you're. No, living. it's just it's a village. Uh, it's so, just a wee village. I mean, how many would you expect in a village? I don't know. Well, well much I know. Epping wasn't a huge town, but we had about eighteen estate agents or antique shops mm. or something. Didn't we? Even then, so. Yeah. No, but meanwhile, Joe Jackson, Joe Jackson, he's one of those, I thought, that didn't, we could have had him on one of the shows we did recently with Wyatt, um, Pete's mate from Planet Rock, who, and, and we were talking about bands or artists that really should have been bigger than they actually were. Yeah. Maybe Joe Jackson would come into that category. We didn't. Uh, him, but I think so. Would. I think some artists don't have that drive for it, you know, and almost shy mm. away from it, you know. And I know certain artists, you know, have, have, have had a wee taste of it and recoiled. And I'm not sure he, he did, but he certainly didn't court it. He made the music that he wanted to play. Because uh, when he went away after, the, uh, he made Beat Crazy, which wasn't a big hit over here, and there wasn't really any hit singles from Beat Crazy which was the album that followed uh, I'm the Man. And then he sort of reinvented himself and, and recorded in America with, I think it was still David Kirschenbaum was the producer for A&M, but it was very much a Latin, almost, you know, flamenco-type instrumentation oh, yeah. to, you know, the album Night and Day. And it was, it was excellent. It really was good. And then he had the big hit, uh, ironically, one of his albums, the songs that I didn't particularly care for, which was Stepping Out. Uh, yeah, I quite like that song actually. That was yeah, his biggest hit. It is, it's probably, and as I say, the album had a, a sort of slow side and a fast side on it, and that was on that. And I always preferred the stuff that was on the other side, but it, it was a wonderfully recorded album and the instrumentation that. But his next album went far more kind of uh, almost West Side Story ish, and it had a, a fake. Uh, sorry, jazz cover on it. Sorry, sunny, I think it was a Sonny Rollins pastiche here. Could be wrong with oh, that. Really? So, yeah, so he was really going for that. And I remember some some review because there was a line in it when when you think of Babe Ruth, you think of hot dogs and beer. And if the guy was saying, well, why would you, why would you not think Stanley Matthews, you know, you think of mutton pies and Bovro, which was yes. more, you know, where, where he would have came from. But... Mm. Was the direction he was he was wanting to go? He was definitely going in that direction. Okay. Yeah. It was his second biggest hit. Actually, stepping out, just number six. Different for girls was number five. Was it? Was that bigger? That was bigger, bigger, bigger than she, five. She so that, that followed. 
that yeah. followed issue really going out with him. That's in yeah. the UK. But two top tens, they were the only two top tens he had. In the States, however, issue really going out with him, made 21. And then uh, it's different for girls, ooh, 101. So not much Oof. there. And But stepping out was, funnily enough, exactly the same. Number six in the US. Mm-hmm. But there also breaking us in two was a Great top ballad. Was it really? And yeah, I've got the picture disc up here and it absolutely stiffed. Uh, a lovely ballad, but no, no, what we were interested in at that time. Uh, so, okay, Joe Jackson number four. Joe Jackson number four. Good choice. So, the, the, my my fifth one because I had so many artists that I thought I need to get them in, um, but I was not going to get them all in. I had to be a wee bit crafty on this, uh, and I put on. Uh, a track, I, ostensibly, most people will know it by um, the Rolling Stones, but it's actually originally done by a favourite of mine, a guy called Arthur Alexander, and it's a song, You Better Move On. Ah, oh, okay. Uh, and it was covered by lots of people, you know, uh, Ry Cooder done a lot of Arthur Alexander stuff, the Beatles famously done Anna, Run To Him, uh, uh, Soldier Of Love, and things like that. So he, he was better known as a writer, but he was a fantastic yeah, uh, soul star. Yeah. 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 Arthur Alexander has always been one of my favourites. But as I say, I really liked the Stones version, but you better move on. And I mean, the, the debt that a lot of these British bands had to these sort of really obscure American soul singers at the time, and they just plundered, you know, even like the, the Beatles doing Baby It's You. Mm. You know what I mean? Sherelle's song. Yeah, yeah Sherelle's song covered by Nick Lowe and Elvis Costello as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it was a whole mind of talent. And one of my favourite rock books is uh, Revolution in the Head. Ian oh, McDonald. yes. I that. would be my Desert Island book. That's your Desert Island book. That would be another uh, podcast. Desert Island book. But he, he does mention at the time how much better Arthur Alexander sings his the songs that the Beatle covers than John Lennon manages and they're they're basically at the same age at the time. You know, mm-hmm. when you hear that there's far more depth to, to Arthur Alexander's voice, uh, and, and Lennon is just sounds like a young guy. Mm-hmm. You know, they were both relatively young obviously when they done them. Um but that's as I say the Stones version of that was really quite faithful. And strangely enough, Willie Deville covered it as well. Of I had a record, uh, I had a single from, it was a, one of these new wave stroke punk stroke power pop bands that didn't uh-huh. have any hits ever, but they were called The Boys. I don't know if you remember The Boys. Uh-huh. I remember The Boys, yeah. With Casino Steel, I think he was Norwegian on keyboards, and they had Matt Dangerfield, um, Jack Black, not not the Jack Black, yeah, um, but another Jack Black. Uh, Honest John Plain and uh, Kid Reed, I think, is the band, but a, a really underrated band, and they they did a version of you. You never, you better move on as well. Yeah, which is good. But as you say, lots of people did. Uh, yeah. Lennon tried his best with these songs, to be fair. No, I mean, I, I mean it wasn't it wasn't to denigrate him because I think they, no. it was great that they exposed them. You know, they they gave these guys well, a level of exposure, and same with like the the, the Stones way. Um, it's all over. And now, you know, Bobby Womack. Bobby Womack, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they, they certainly gave these guys careers that they possibly wouldn't have had without them. 
but uh, it's just a shame that the records are, you know, maybe remembered for a, a slightly inferior version in my my in your humble opinion in my humble opinion yes. than than the ones that they that they were done. Uh, so yeah, that's him. And his other great one was was Go on Home Girl, which was covered by Ry Cooder on Bop Till We Drop, another okay. favorite favorite album of mine. Uh, so. It's, if you ever see the Arthur Alexander, the best of album, uh, it's one to just pick up. It's quite rare. It's not particularly expensive, but you just don't see many copies of it. Uh, and I would certainly suggest, as I say, if you find a copy to grab it with both hands, well worth it. Well do. Okay. You better move on, Arthur Alexander. You better move on. Arthur you better move on to number six. We better move on to number six. Yes. Uh, and you were asking about the, the, you know, the main man, Mr. Springsteen, and from maybe the age of sixteen to twenty-one or something like that. The, the two guys, my main guys, were Elvis Costello and Bruce Springsteen. I remember first hearing um, "Born to Run." Uh, well, I'm vaguely aware when it came out in seventy-five, but I was probably just too young. But I was in a. a, a do you have? Did you have John Menzies' newsagents? Yes, we did. They did because I wasn't sure if it, it was obviously a Scottish company, and I wasn't sure if they were exclusively up here. But uh, no, they used to have a record department. I don't know. Did, did they have record departments in yours? That I can't remember. Right. But, I mean, a lot of these stores did, whether it be Woolworths yeah. or uh, yeah, John Menzies, maybe yeah, maybe even well, Boots might have had at some point. I don't know. They, they, they were playing the, the the young young girl behind the counter was playing Born to Run for some strange reason and. Uh, I thought, oh, I, I vaguely remember that. And I, I went up and I, I said, oh, what's that? And she says, it was Bruce Springsteen born to run, which it was already then probably maybe three years, four years out. So I bought it and uh, I went home and played it incessantly for about four days. And then I went out at the weekend and got, I remember buying, you could buy his first three albums in a box set. Ooh. And it was it was greetings from Asbury Park, the Wild Dennis and Nishi Shuffle were born to run. Three albums, and I think it was something like five ninety nine for the three of them. No, Darkness uh, on the Edge of Town. Did that come out after that? That came out. That came. It had it had already came out, but it was, you know, it didn't do well over here originally. Darkness. So I bought those three that week, and I bought Darkness the week after, and that was me totally caught up with Mr. Springsteen at the time. Uh, it's one of these songs now that's maybe it's so ubiquitous, you know, it's everywhere. Uh, and for years and years and years, you never heard it. You know, it was one of these ones that uh, when it came on, it was, oh, that sounds brilliant. But now it comes on, it's, oh, you know, no, again. It's like Born in the USA. It just, it's, it's wallpaper music now, you know, which mm. is a shame because it's a better song than that. It's a, certainly a better yeah, song than Born in the USA. Than USA. Yeah. yeah. But it's just every every oldies radio station now plays it about once a day, um, and it's shame. And it's I always remember reading, I think it was Dave Marcy's description of it as being uh, fueled by uh, uh, melted down crystals records. Which <laughs> <laughs> perfectly sums it up. It's the best record that Bruce uh, that Phil Spector never made. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and I sold somebody a copy of it lately, uh, recently, and they came back to me and they says, and they were a young guy who was buying like classic albums, you know, and and I, I had says, oh, you you really should have bought it run, 
And he says, I think there's something wrong with that copy. He said, it sounds really muddy. Yeah. I says, every it copy is. that I've ever sold sounds really muddy. It's, it's a muddy record. It's a know? muddy record, yeah. It's a muddy record, but... But once he went, once he knew there was nothing wrong with it, I think he went and accepted it for, you know, enjoyed it for what it was. It's a, it's a, it's a muddy good record, actually. Yeah. It's a muddy good record. Yeah. Born to Run. Strangely, Born. of course, for his comeback, well, not comeback, it's more like his breakthrough album. I know we, we might touch upon this when we do a show next week about String Sing, so I don't want to talk too much about it. But, um, yeah, Born to Run was, was a, a single wise, certainly was a total flop. I mean, it's not a hit at all. No, no, it was his real breakthrough album, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was his maker break. He was widely known. Yeah, he was throwing everything into that album, and and it wasn't a big hit here. I think he only, I think Hungry Heart might be in the first hit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, some description, it's not. Yeah, and of course, and of course, it's widely known. He's one of those artists that's never had a number one single in the UK. No, I don't know about the US without checking. No, I think he may have had one in the US, but certainly never here or even kind of close. Uh, right. And again, he was. It was interesting what you were saying earlier about people not being as big as they could be, and uh, you could never apply that to Springsteen. But what I, what I think was once he got that huge way, the whole born in the USA thing, he kind of stepped back for that. You know, he never wanted to be that sort of old mainstream. I think again, and he deliberately made mm. "Turn Away Love," which was a quieter album, and he, he broke up the street band for street you know band, yeah. twenty years. So I think he he was certainly somebody that was never comfortable in that. I mean, he was always comfortable in big stadium shows and things mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, just having that level of pop sort of churning out the hits was never really what he was about. But uh, it, certainly... playing up in Scotland? Uh, he's, doing, he's doing two. Yeah, he's doing Murrayfield with the big, obviously, rugby stadium up here. Yeah. I've seen him a few times, including uh, when he was still doing uh, small venues up here, I've seen him in a venue called Edinburgh Playhouse. It was only 3,000 people. That was in the, the River Tour in 81 when he was still not particularly big. But mm. by the time he came with the Born in the USA tour, he was stadiums and there's been stadiums ever since. So, and that was a great night. But he sort of felt that was the last time he felt he was part of a, you know, he, no underground, but he wasn't particularly well known even then in '81. Mm. But by the time he came back, he was global, you know. And see, uh, yeah. yeah, so okay, that's on the boss. Yeah, that was him. And as I say, as I mentioned there, my uh, my main man along with him was was Mr. Costello. Yes, and such a struggle to pick uh, one f- from him. Um, and you know, I I'm didn't want pick one for you. Shall I pick right. which one you're going to have? Go on then. Alison. Well, it had to be that, <laughs> and that it couldn't, it, I couldn't go for Elvis Army. He scores. Yeah. And uh, my favourite Elvis Costello song is actually one called You'll Never Be a Man, which is a song off Trust, but it's, a, it's just an album track. But Alison is probably one of the few songs that you can hear you know, every second day and never really get tired of it. It's just got everything in it. And even, uh, I remember Linda Ronstadt covering it. She did a great cover of it, yeah. Yeah, and Elvis was a wee bit sniffy, if he's being honest. Well, about she had a hit, I don't think he did, did he? No, no, he I didn't. Think, no. I'm, sure, I'm sure he wasn't sniffy about those royalties either. No, uh, absolutely not. Go. 
but and I, I remember a lot of people saying at the time, well, that's a new wave dead if because I think she'd done three uh, albums, if these songs on, I think it was the Mad Love album, uh, I think she covered three songs. But the uh, Alison has, has always has been just a, a fresh. So and my brother married a girl called Alison, and I used to sing it. Uh, and I'm one of the world's worst singers, so that used to get me threatened with actual bodily violence if I didn't stop annoying his wife when I was drunk with singing this maudlin song. Uh, but what can you say about it? I mean, everybody knows it. It's, it's just one of the greats. And uh, he never really, you know, I don't think he was ever that direct again. He was always really clever with his wordplay, you know. Mm. Uh, but that that's that was just there was real emotion behind it, and to this not day, still, not very punk. Only no, way, but, but it wasn't. It wasn't at that time. He was. It was not exclusively punk. He was on that bandwagon, and I remember the. I think they left Radio Sweetheart off. Uh, My aim is true because Radio Sweetheart is an out and out country song, which Elvis has mm. always loved. You know, even before he made Almost Blue, he's always oh, loved country. Uh, but that was as unhip as you could possibly be at that time to, to stick out uh, Radio Sweetheart. So it was tucked away in a B-side, I think. But possibly not even be Alison. Uh, but and I, people forget, it was Huey Lewis's backing band at the time, Clover, that was on. My name is true, rather the first than... album, yeah. Yeah, it was, there was, the, the, the attractions didn't exist. Uh, in any way, shape, or form at that time, so he never really had that sound again, you know. Because that that, that album was just Elvis Costello, wasn't it? It wasn't Elvis yeah. Costello and the attractions. That no. it was the this Elvis year's Costello. this year's model that became the attractions. Yeah, the one after. that's right. Yeah, yeah. and that, that that's a sort of as I say, a, a sound that a band really kind of finding its feet and, and thrashing these songs into place and making a wonderful job of it, but. It's night and day, if my aim is true. And you mentioned uh, Graham Parker, or one of us mentioned Graham Parker, on a, and some of the rumour were involved in that as well, were they not? Yeah, that's the, right, the, the, the rumour. Yeah, they, they play on uh, watching the detectives. Yeah, because I'm, that's probably uh, the one I'm thinking of. A very hard, apparently, sort of, uh, almost reggae type of beat to, to, mm. to lock, lock down, as the musos would say. Uh, and they they were they were deemed to be they were they were great musicians. I remember um, very underrated band. Still probably my favourite live album would would be theirs that they made with Graham Parker. But uh, as I say, I, if I had to pick one for Elvis, it would be Alison because I think it's just stood the test of time. Cool. Well, I knew you were going to have an Elvis Costello song, and as it turned out, I guessed it was Alison. So there you go. Psychic, psychic calling. Yeah. Number uh, eight. Well, number eight is I've, I've kept the sort of Elvis Costello theme and what we were talking about uh, of him, him loving country and, and embracing country always. And he wrote a song which, uh, again, he, he does, he's, he's got it in some of his compilation albums and that, but that never came out on any of his released albums at the time. But it was covered by another one of my favourites who was on the Stiff label at the time, uh, was a young American singer called Rachel Sweet. Rachel Sweet. Baby? Yeah. Baby, B-A-B-Y, baby. Yeah. Uh, never had a big hit in here. I think she troubled the top 30, possibly. Yeah, uh, 
with Baby, and I think she had other singles like I Go To Pieces and things like that, an old 60s cover, but she she covered Elvis's You'll Never Be A Man. Uh, right. Sorry, I've just I've, no, I've, I've read that wrong. She covered Elvis's Stranger In The House, which oh, right. okay. is such a great country song. You could you could hear, I think when he was writing it, he was writing it for somebody like Tammy Wynette in his head. Do you know what I mean? He, uh, he, uh, he obviously loved uh, George Jones, Tammy Wynette, uh, and and George covered it as well later on with a, with a duets album that he'd done with Elvis Costello. And it's a fantastic modelling country song. So I've written down B-A-B-Y, but that's not what you're picking. What are you picking? I'm picking Stranger in the House, which Stranger Elvis in wrote. The house. Okay. And I just looked her up. She did have uh, a hit with B-A-B-Y, but, you know, as you said, just tickled the top 40, number yeah. 35. And yeah. she had a follow-up hit which also made number 35 three years later, and it was Everlasting Love. It was, was Rex, Rex, with Rex, Rex, Rex Smith. It was Rex a real, yeah, it was a stomping yeah. cover of the, uh, the old standard. But she also done, uh, I don't know if you, this might be getting tickled away in the back of your memory somewhere. She used to do an advert for Memorex tapes, Oh, memories! Uh, yeah, and she done she done singing. She sang, um, the, not a particularly great album song for a second album, and the 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 tagline when Memorex was always "Is it real or is it Memorex?" Oh, I remember so, that. Yeah, yeah, and and as I say, they they tried to kind of turn her into a a, a sort of sixteen year old British Springsteen. And, but done some really interesting covers, done a great cover of uh, New Age by, by Lou Reed, but never really, she never really caught on in any way, shape or form. But the first album was really of its time, sort of punky and backed by uh, the Blockheads, mostly on it. Okay. Because it was that old stiff, yeah, stiff in-house, yeah. you know, uh, and they, they, as I say, the Blockheads could play anything, from lounge jazz to country to, you know, outrageous rock and roll and they, they just breeze through Stranger in the House as if they had been playing that kind of music all the time and it's a great great vocal sort of fully yearning and you know she was only 16 I think or 15 mm, when she cut young. it yeah uh, but it, when you when you hear it you would you would hear Tammy when I, I don't know if Tammy ever had a crack at it um, but that was the whole period that was in Costello stiff Jury, you know, all of that sort of Nick Lowe, new, new wave, Nick Lowe, obviously, yeah, as well. Uh, so it goes. So that was, but I always was drawn to maybe got that single, yes, yeah, one on Steve. I got that vinyl somewhere with Heart huh? of the City on the B side, yeah, Heart of the City on the B side. But I always liked it when somebody what cruel they called the second division ones, you know what I mean, like. The Jonah Louise and the yeah, yeah. Rachel Sweets and, and Lenny Lovitch and things like that, you know. Lenny Lovitch, yeah, yeah. N- never quite Ooh, Lenny, at the top Lenny table. Lovitch. What was her big hit, Lenny Lovitch? Um, she, she had two. She had uh, Lucky Number. Lucky Number, this one. Yeah, Lucky Number yeah. is, yeah. And and Say When was a was a, a decent follow-up as well, but again... I don't remember that one, to be honest, but yeah. Not, not, not greatly different from Lucky Number. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of those. They never, they never really sat at the top table, if you like, you know. Yeah. 
but that's that that was fine. I, I think I always had a wee bit of music snob in me that I wanted to have something that people didn't necessarily know. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's a horrible, <laughs> horrible trait. But you know, you've got to be true to yourself. So I always like to be faint obscure with that. So. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're coming now to the start of my working life and going out pubs and clubs, having a small sherry of an evening, Absolutely, you, know, yeah. you know, in the drawing room. Uh, and we would sit in the chaise lounge and put something. Was uh, someone feeding you grapes? Somebody was feeding me grapes. and yes. A bunch the, of grapes on your chaise lounge. Yes, chaise lounge. And I was saying, Jeeves, pop this new album on. I want to hear it. Uh, that I purchased from Woolworths today for two ninety nine, and I remember Jeeves popping down the needle in the weirdest intro that I'd ever heard in my life, which was basically radio static coming in and out of a lot of, you know, the pieces of the Archer, and then a wee bit of the Sex Pistols, uh, and I then can tell you, I can yeah, tell you what this album is. Yep, yeah. and. Uh... The album is Searching for the Young Soul Rebels. Young Soul Rebels. And the, oh, the track was Dance Dance. Uh, and, dance Dance, yeah. And what was funny about it, I was listening to it, and because it was static, I didn't know if I had the the, the thing turned up right because it was fading really low. And you got a wee, you got a wee bit of Deep Purple and you got a bit of the Specials Rat Race. And then all of a sudden this man shouted, Big Jimmy! Ow, for God's sake, burn it down in this kind of gruff Birmingham accent. Yeah. And the biggest thump, and these horns came in and blew these speakers, you know, <laughs> clean off the wall, sort of thing. And my mother came in, what the hell is going on? The hell's that? And that was Dance Dance, uh, which is still one of the most thrilling songs I think uh, I've ever heard. And obviously, the, the track for the album that was the big number one was. Uh, do you know? And also they had on it uh, "There, There, My Dear," which yep. I think was maybe top top, top ten. Top ten, yeah. Yeah, yeah dance dance yeah. was their first hit. Yeah, and, uh, number forty. A nice introduction there, subtle. Yep, but and I then Gino's mean, number one. And and dance dance on the album had, which was very rare at the time, uh, had sweary words on it. Ooh. Which obviously wasn't in the single version, and I wouldn't, you know, um, foul up your airwaves by repeating. But it was still quite thrilling until your mother stuck her head around the door to ask <laughs> if you want your tea, <laughs> and the man said the offending word just as she came in. Uh, so I was only sixteen, as I say. Yeah, yeah. I was, get that off! Get that off! No, listen to that while we're having my tea. So that was that vulgarity. vulgarity. Uh, but. Uh, she wanted never mind the bollocks put on instead, probably. Yes, I put never mind the bollocks on, Gordon, uh, or or something nice, be a public image or something like that, something melodic. Mm. Uh, so that that was really, you know, you can see the whole sort of area that I was that I was into at the time, and it pretty much uh, that was my love until jingly jangly pop sort of came in from the, the Scots. Contingent roundabout eighty one, yeah, yeah, yeah. The number ten, and it was strangely enough one of my favourite band about that time was a young Scottish band called Aztec Camera. Ah, okay, yeah. 
who had a, a, a big hit on postcard records with uh, Oblivious. But it wasn't that wasn't the one that that, that I wanted to include that, to, to be a wee bit more interesting. They had a, the follow up album, and I think the lead single off it was something called "All I All I Need Is Everything," which was it was a fine, it was a good enough song, but wasn't it particularly one of their finest? But on the B side of the twelve inch, uh, Roddy Frame had cut a version of uh, Van Halen's "Jump." Ah, right. I, think I remember you mentioning this before. Yeah, I, I, I think Maybe I did when we were doing the Scottish. One. Yeah, the yeah. Scottish one. But I, I had to be true to myself and put it back in because it's an extraordinary Absolutely. something like eight minutes. Uh, and with, I, I, I think I remember saying the last time I, I've never been a lover of guitar solos, but no. you know, Roddy Roddy framed as one at the end of this, which which I've set the tinder boxes of uh, Southern England alight, alight, uh, quick style. If he had, I've played it uh, in these sort of strange heated sort of times that we're in, overheated times we're in. So it's uh, by far the, the best cover I think I've ever heard, and that it takes a song somewhere you never thought. Of. I was never a great fan of the original jump, but it's you know cheesy eighties keyboards. Dun, 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 yeah, dun, yeah. Uh, but he, 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 he redoes it as a ballad, uh, yeah, and was, it just builds and it builds. It. I, must, I must dig it out. Oh, you need to you need to hear it, and it just meanders along, and then it just builds into this crescendo. And at the end, of it, you see what a, what a kind of musician Roddy Frame is. Um, which album was that on? It wasn't. It was just. It was. It was the. It was a twelve inch on the, the B side of All I Need Is Everything, which I think. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Top top twenty, but no particularly. It produced by Mark Knopfler, obviously. The, ah, yeah, it. actually, uh, yeah, in September '84, All I Need Is Everything, Stroke Jump, and it made number thirty-four. Yep. Yep. So that was, uh, as I say, it was a it was a great sort of um, time to be listening to Scottish music and be up here and going to see bands and that. You know, there were so many good bands for you know Aztec Camera, the Bluebells, Friends Again, uh, who you know then went into Love and Money and Primal Scream, Orange Juice again. Orange Juice. Just yeah. a, a, and it was the only time probably been. Scottish was enough to get you signed to a record label. If you could just play a guitar, you were going to get signed mm. uh, because everything was... And to be honest, I think they had that many big hits, but the NME was all powerful at that time and everything that glittered from Scotland was was gold, you know, for that was, brief two periods. Yeah, Summer in My Heart's probably the biggest hit there, wouldn't it? Yeah, thought. and it's... it's, it's from his album that's probably my least favourite because he went over and I think he got a couple of hip sort of American producers to polish polish that sound and it is very whereas the the first two certainly the first album was very indie and you know guitar based and that but I think he was always quite a curious kind of frontman Roddy and he always wanted to go and do things different and that was just what he was listening to at the time it's, it's always it's fascinating when when bands do versions of songs that are completely different, mm-hmm. and you just don't expect it. Like you saying, "Jump with Van." Yeah. We went to see Guns and Roses at the Spurs Stadium a few weeks ago, and right. uh, they sang "Wichita Lineman." Oh, that, that's amazing! <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, yeah, you, you, you would have that real recognition in the back of your head. 
I know that. I know that. What is that? And then... <laughs> I started singing it. It's, it's Glenn Campbell. Huh? It's Glenn Campbell. And they also just sat down and they did a version of um, the, well, Paul McCartney, really, as the Beatles. There's only McCartney on it. Well, Blackbird. Uh, great version of that that well. seems to be uh, very popular. Well, uh, obviously, the, the one that I liked that, you, again, when you heard them playing it, you go, is that really what I think it was? Was I always remember Nirvana playing The Man Who Sold the World. Man Who Sold the World, yeah. And, and, one of the top covers, I think, a lot of people say, don't they? Yeah, and, but sometimes the, what these covers do is it makes you really see how great a song is. You know, the film yesterday, you know, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, came out a couple of years ago and it was about the, the guy who has a bump on the head and when he wakes up, nobody knows who the Beatles are. And he's a sort of singer-songwriter. I, I remember seeing it, yeah. It's called Yesterday, wasn't it? Yesterday, yep, yep. Yeah. And, and, but what, what, what it done to me was actually just the devotees of these songs for the whole Beatles sort of, you know, myth and mystique and hugeness in them. And you just see what absolutely brilliant. Some some guy just doing versions of the man. And I think the best cover yeah. versions do that. They make you look at the song and say, geez, I, yeah, that's yeah. that's just stands alone. That stands alone. Um Okay. Well so, we moved, we've done it, we've been on an hour and we've done ten. So oh, right. you're not maybe gonna get we'll get know. earlier. We're maybe not through the next ten. Right, we'll push through. We'll, we'll, we'll push through. Uh, so uh, my next one is, is quite a quick one, and I did mention them uh, briefly. It was another Scottish band called uh, Friends Again, and they had a great, great single called Honey at the Core, which I'm not spending too much time in because it was quite obscure, but it's worth uh, looking at. There was lots of really good Scottish bands at the time. Strawberry Switchblade, who we've spoken about before, uh, and the very guitar based uh, James Grant uh, was was in Love and Money uh, so I'm going to have that for number 11 and I'm going to quickly go on that's to number 12 I've not heard of to be honest. of all the ones you've had so far that's probably yeah. what I've not heard Honey, honey, honey the core. The core. It's, it's just a great jingly jangly pop song of which there were many at the time but mm-hmm. it was a very important record for me at that time and, and just it, it it was more, it said everything about what I wanted to be seen as. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it was a vanity thing almost that, you know, this is what I like. I don't care if anybody else doesn't know it. No, no. These, these, in fact, that's a bonus if nobody else knows it because it yeah, makes me So, uh, but it, it stood, stood the test of time and I still love it. And, and mainly, one of the things is it has the memorable line in it, in it honey, honey, I would walk to you, I would walk to you, but my moon boots, they chafe so bad. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I don't know why he was smoking. Well, that's what I think. Just for that, then, isn't it? <laughs> my moon boots they chafe so bad. So uh, if I have a shoe to this day that is cutting me in a new shoe that I'm wearing, I will refer to them. Say that, yeah, my yeah. wife, as my moon boots are chafing so bad, and she will sigh as if to say, "You need new material." After all, this, you've, you've been saying that for over thirty-five years. So anyway, we've got Honey at the Core uh, and we're going to nip on to uh, uh, the Beatles I felt I had to have in. And as I said to you right at the start, I was quite late to the Beatles. And then I went back and sort of, uh, I sort of went mid-period mid with them. So I started round about Revolver 
uh, and then worked my way up. I didn't go back to the early albums, which I felt sounded at that time you didn't do too much for me. It sounded very, you know, almost primitive. It, it mm. sounds stupid now, but to, to the band that they became. But mm. then I got a copy of the White Album, and the first time I played it, I thought, oh, what, what is all this? You know, so much rubbish on this album. And that's still a couple of duffers on it, but most of it I've came to <laughs> I was going to say, you're not yeah. going to choose Revolution 9, I hope. I'm going to, no, I'm just going to choose Revolution. Revolution, okay. Revolution 1 or yeah. Revolution. Yeah, the, what, the, the acoustic version you prefer on the album then? I, no, I, I, do like the, I do like the, the acoustic version. I think it's a beautiful song, but I really like the tone. I take it as George Harrison's sort of fuzz tone guitar on the, you know, the electrified version of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah it must be, yeah. And I also like the way that, you, you know, you really never, it's like Lennon's hedging his bets with it. Because yeah. he said, if you, if you want money for people with minds that hate, you know, that's how you're going to be. And then he sings uh, Revolution, in, out, in, out. Count me in, out, in, out, in. So, you know, I, I think he wanted to say, you know, count me in, but you know, there was a wee bit of him was was not going to paint yourself into that corner either, which you subsequently think he did. But I think it's just a great, there's so many great songs on that. You know, I could have picked back in the USSR, you know, I could have picked your blues, anything off it. There's, mm. there's so many good ones on it. But I think Revolution, it just, it's one of these songs to this day when you hear it, you think, bloody hell, you know, that's pretty special. That could really rock. They really rock. Yeah, yeah. They, they wanted it as the... A side of a single, which um, I, I say McCartney out uh, outvoted him. Probably the whole band did as well because it was quite a politically motivated song. Yeah, wasn't it? They didn't, yeah, it they was. didn't release anything like that. So no. uh, Paul came up with "Hey Jude." So you know, yeah, it didn't do so bad, did it? <clears throat> no, and it's, I think it's the that whole sort of. Uh, the tug that's at the heart of the Beatles, you know, between the two of them. Uh, I think people do simplify McCartney's. So he's, you know, thing, everything's getting better, you know, it's getting better, and then Lennon is meant to be the hard and street, sort of cool one, and I don't think either one of them sits really well. <laughs> Lennon being the pessimistic, uh, yeah. McCartney being the optimistic. I mean, the, yeah. the classic song, We Can Work It Out, of course, which they both wrote together, bits and bobs, you can yeah, tell which are McCartney bits, you know. We can work it out, you know, try to see it yeah. way. We can work it out. And then we get on the Lennon's Bridge. Life is very short. You know? <laughs> Life is very short. You've got no time, uh, yeah. For, for fussing and fighting. So, yeah, and I think that's what makes them great, you know, that the two of them were uh, at these different ends and, and working everything out. So I, I, I just thought it was a, a really great song. And if I had to have a Beatles track, there's so many, but I'd probably pump for that one that's snaps great now okay. the other thing number 13 that I wanted to really share was and it's something that I think has left the you know the, the music makeup the country now or the world is you don't really get songs that are just a wee bit different wacky and you always did I mean <clears throat> I'm thinking of things like in the kitchen at parties yellow dog one Jerry more night Lee. yeah they always had loads of them 
And this is one I remember from my youth coming over the airways. And it's, again, a, a man who's very underrated. He's thought he was a one-hit wonder, but he was a fantastic producer in his own right. In fact, produced the Dexys album, Searching for the Young Soul Rebels. So it was, and to this day, I have it as set as my ringtone. And it is uh, the song 18 with a Bullet, Pete Wingfield. Pete Wingfield. Yes. The light lamented Pete. Uh, <clears throat> a great musician, great producer, and a massive hit in America, where, of course, 18 with a Bullet was the terminology they used if a, a, a record charted. Yeah. Mm. And it charted and it was, you know, moving up fast. Uh, and just great wordplay in it as well. Uh, just a real feel-good kind of song. And if, if anybody just wants to know what it was like in the charts back in the early to mid-70s, you had all sorts of songs like this that just popped up and then just went away again. Great, you know. It was a great disparity in stuff there. You would, you would have reggae on right next to something like that and then you would have some fantastic soul. Uh, and I think, Music's become a wee bit homogenised now. You know, it's just a wee bit blander. There's nothing that you really, you go, all right, I didn't expect that. God's sake, we used to have Clive Dunn and Grandad and Ernie the Fastest Milton. And they were novelties, and I don't suggest these songs were novelty, but they certainly had a lighter, you know, feel to them about it. They weren't weighed down with the, the, the worries of the world. And I think they were stuff, stuff like maybe Fox, Single Bed, you know, that's the fluff. It's just a single bed. Yeah. Single bed, you know, built around that week and he stuttery thing. But I think it was just nice that we had so many. I mean, a lot of people thought Sparks was turning big enough for the both of us. I used to think that was a bit of a novelty song, you know, because it was bullets shooting off everywhere on it. It's yeah. just a great song. Chickory mm. Tips, Son of My Father. You know, people would think that was a bit of a novelty. It was, I think it was the first time Georgie Moroder used a used synthesizer, a very important record. Still sounds great, but my point is, you know, I think we've lost that wee kind of ability to shock in the charts or, or surprise you, and I think it's just got a wee bit kind of, you know, they, they find a groove now and they just settle back and use that groove, and that's the song. Which I mean, it's what? hard not to sound like no far. Was it not in the? It was on a soundtrack. Um, it's probably been on a few actually. Yeah. Was it on Lock, Lock Stock? I think, yeah, that, that's certainly, I think. Uh, that, that endeared me that film. Yeah. It was certainly on that. I don't know if it was on any others. No, uh, I don't know. And, and famously, you know, that's sometimes been a goldmine for people. Nick Lowe, who we mentioned, whose Peace, Love and Understanding was covered by uh, Curtis Tigers on the Bodyguard soundtrack. Oh, right, okay. And has and kept, kept Nick in roll-ups to this day ever since, you know. I'm sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. So sometimes it's nice when they get a wee bit of cash with something big like that that just sells a lot. Uh, so I was pleased to hear that on it. Great song. Uh, now, my next one is a wee bit of, possibly another one that you've not heard of, but I would hope you have. Uh, I have a, a real love of, of folk music and uh, Richard Thompson, uh, who I discovered again pretty late, on a compilation album, I think there was a folk, a new folk compilation album, and it had the likes of Billy Bragg in that on it, and it had a song called The Turning of the Tide. And I thought, oh, I like I like the sound of that guy, so I'm going to buy one of his albums. And then I remember getting uh, on CD, 
the album Room on Sigh, and it had a song on it called The Vincent Black Lightning, 1952. I don't know if you know it at all. It's a tale of it, it, it's a tale of a, a young man who has this motorbike and he's a bit of a wild man and he has the love of his life a, a girl called Red Mully, but Jamesy, the, the hero of it, is a bit of a, a, a lovable rogue and likes to rob the odd bank. Uh, so he uh, he is mortally wounded during one of the bank. Uh, robbers, robbings, and he, his dying breath is to give his Vincent Black Lightning in 1952 to Red Mully. And it's there's a guitar sort of theme that runs through it that is so good. I remember playing it for a friend of mine who at the time was probably about 35, and he said to me, he never picked up an instrument in his life. He says, I'm going to learn to play the guitar just so I can play this song. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I never thought any more about it. And then about five years later, he said, I want to play something. And he played me this cassette and I had genuinely no idea what the song was. And mm. I said, I can half make that out. I says, but it's bloody awful, whatever it is. What is it? <laughs> and it, <laughs> it turned out it was him trying to play Vincent Black Lightning. And he was mortally crushed. Uh-huh. It wasn't great then. It was great. It wasn't great. The, the, the tune was kind of there, but if you ever hear uh, Richard Thompson playing the guitar, you'll know that he only had about another 78 years to practice before he was going to get to that yes. level, sort of thing. So it, was Richard, a, it wasn't Richard and Linda, this one. It was Richard no, Thompson. It was, it was well after that. Uh, and I was going to put Richard and Linda, I want to see the bright lights. I, yeah, that was when you said Richard Thompson. I thought, well, I wonder if it's going to be that one. But no. Yeah, no. it was nearly that because that's the one I know. But it's it's such a fantastic song to go and track down. Uh, it, it has a couple that are just stunning. One, another one called Beeswing, which has to be heard to be, to be believed. But uh, it was one of these real moments. I thought, oh, that, that guy just has something that nobody else has. Uh, and the, the whole album is kind of revered and is cost a fortune if you get it on vinyl now, because uh, obviously it came out the height of the CD boom and it was very mm. impressed. Um, so that was my number 14, Vincent Black Lightning by Richard Thompson. Richard well worth Thompson. Trying yeah. to- have you got any songs that don't have motorbike references in there? <laughs> it seems to be. I, 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 it must all be subliminal because I, I, did, I did love, I had a motorbike for quite a while, but my leathers kept shrinking every time, you know, when we put them on, they would get tighter. And t- <laughs> so, you know, it's not going to be born to be old or anything going up there, no? No, no, we're, we're kidding. In fact, I do have another mode of transport for my next one. That's oh, a little okay. bit more. Nice. More sedate, yeah. I remember as being um, 14 and we had a, 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 you know, at one school, had every school had one of these particularly hip teachers, you know, usually smoking a pipe and that, but he was really, yeah, you know, yeah. got the kids. And he Sitting on the edge of the table at the front, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cross-legged that, yeah. And, uh, he wanted you to call him by his first name as well, didn't he? Exactly. Uh, well, it, I know, we had one of those. He, this, his second name was Livingston, so he 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 got us to, he, his nickname was the Doc, so we called him oh, the yeah. Doc, Doc Livingston. So, long story short, he, he organised. I don't know. I don't know where the hell we were meant to be going for educational purposes, but it turned out we were all going 
to the local cinema to see The Last Waltz, which had just come out at the time. And I, I, the band. I, yeah, I knew I knew yeah. quite a bit of Dylan stuff because I'd heard, uh, obviously, Desire. I, I had no idea who the band were other than a big idea that they had backed him at some time. So I thought, well, you know, they, they're pretty good, pretty good. And then Manchester was waning a wee bit, and I thought, right, OK, well, here's somebody coming that I've heard of. And it was a wee Irishman, a wee pudgy Irishman called Van Morrison who came on and sang Caravan. Uh, and absolutely, and and but the words of Lee Helm, the band's drummer, absolutely saved the whole film by doing oh, these six-inch kicks across the stage and just blowing the roof off the place. Uh, and he says the whole thing. Everybody just came out to try and you know top Van Morrison that night. Uh, so I'm a big huge Van Morrison fan. Uh, I, should I qualify that? A fan of the man's music. I'm not particularly enamored. It's a shame he's gone a bit. He's gone a bit yeah. odd. He's, he's went done a, a bit of a Clapton. He's went done a bit of Clapton or a bit David Ike, depending on, on how far <laughs> by your true. memory goes. Uh, but oh, I yeah. think he, he has stuff. You know, when he's on his game, that, that few can touch. Uh, Astral Weeks or a whole album or even something like uh, Full Force Gale or, uh, you know, the, the Bright Side of the Road. But Caravan was the one that I really first saw him in and thought, all right, need to go and see who this wee man is. Um, so, again, I, I, I've long since lost interest in buying these albums. Uh, I, I think he really needs to wrap it on the head. But... Uh, for that brief period of time, he was pretty much untouchable, uh, and he had a fantastic band uh, called the California Soul Orchestra. Uh, who, uh, if you ever see the live album Too Late to Stop Now, grab yourself it as well. Okay. So we're, we're 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 getting there now. Uh, Sixteen is a, a wee bit uh, obscure, and again, one that you might see, but it ties in with number seventeen, which is. His, slightly more obscure as well. And my number 16 is a 60s guy who is most probably well known for writing the hit for uh, Barry Maguire, The Eve of Destruction. But he actually, his name is P.F. Sloan and he actually made a few albums on his own. I don't know if you know P.F. Yeah, I do. P.F. Sloan and his, his one real nearly hit was a song called Sins of the Family. His, his stuff's been covered a few bands where were you when I needed you was covered quite well by the Bangles um, and he was a very talented man who who went off the, the rails uh, he was always going to be the next big thing and then never really was and I think he had a hard time coping with you know just no quite getting there when everybody was saying he was the next Dylan so Sins of the Family is really fantastic 60s pop in the vein of maybe you know, Buffalo Springburn, uh, Spring, Simpsons, Buffalo Springfield or The Birds or something like that, that great guitar pop. Um, but So he he's number 16, but one of my favourite songs of all time was written about him and was called P.F. Sloan. Uh, and was written by Jimmy Webb, who we spoke about briefly, with, um, obviously when we mentioned... Uh, Glenn Campbell and Guns N' Roses earlier on yes. uh, wrote Wichita Lyman and, and all these songs. And Jimmy Webb had, had written this absolute tremendous song 
about PF Sloan's sort of breakdown and, and subsequently came out and said he regretted it a wee bit because uh, PF Sloan obviously heard it and knew it. <laughs> you wouldn't be in any doubt it was about him because it was called PF Sloan. It's a bit of a giveaway, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's a fantastic song. I've heard it covered quite recently by Rumour. Do you remember Rumour? Not Rumor, me, yeah. Rumor. yeah, I remember Rumour, yeah. Yeah, and she, she had a single version of it and she, she, she had a decent stab at it. It was good. But it wasn't the Jimmy Webb version. And if you only go and listen to one song for this list tonight that you've never heard, this is try and one. listen to Jimmy Webb's P.F. Sloan and break your heart every time. Tremendous. Uh, so only three to go, and they're all classics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's only three. So uh, if we go back just briefly to, as I say, we're sitting in a darkened cinema in the middle of Stirling, and... Uh, we're plodding through the the last walks, and every now and again, it intercuts to sort of studio tracks that they've done uh, with other sort of sort of luminaries at the time. Uh, Emily Harris uh, is in one as Evangeline, but then it cut to them doing a song that I had never heard at the time, uh, and it was the version of the Wait with Mavis Staples and Pop Staples and the Staples Singers. Mm-hmm. Uh, still probably one of the hairs up the, the back of the neck moments that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Just this woman absolutely tearing through this song and leave on Helm and the band just looking at her with awe. And I subsequently read in his autobiography that they were just blown away with, with what this woman could do. I mean, the song was a 24-carat classic you know, before she done it, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, their version's superb. But the Absolutely, version that, yeah. that they do in the last waltz, it just takes it up to another another level. Uh, and it's a bit of a shame that there's so much acrimony, obviously. Uh, Levon Helm felt that the other members of the band who contributed to the makeup of the songs never received their due in terms of royalties, you know, Money, they, they all remained working musicians while Robbie could afford to retire. Yeah, Robinson, yeah, he claimed it all, didn't he? He got it all, yeah. And and that's always what Levon says was that, oh, sure, Robbie done the songs, but the contributions that the band made, you know, they would never have been successful without them. Uh, so it's that whole. How well, often is that, though? That's the, the yeah. case with a lot. We say that with the Beatles as well. You know, you listen to. Um, uh, some of the you know, the guitar solos and stuff that you remember the, the I don't yeah. even know, like guitar solos but I don't know like the first proper guitar solo on a Beatles single was probably on Can't Buy Me Love yeah with George Harrison you know, he really made you know he sort of yeah doesn't make the song but it's certainly a significant chunk yeah. of it isn't it I, I think there should always be a way when when the contribution's been huge like that, there should be a portion of the royalties. You know, uh, certainly something like Cripple Creek, where, mm. where Garth Hudson manages to play what seems like three tunes at the same time mm. and, and merge them all in and, and make it sound unlike anything you've ever heard. How that's not rewarded financially, you know, is just seems wrong. No, I think nowadays it probably is. I think anybody that's sort of in the same room as someone when they wrote a song uh, probably gets a, a credit now because they, you know they they fear they're going to be sued yeah. for, for well, something, don't they? So. There was obviously the guy that sued the, the Bluebells for doing the sort of young at heart fiddle, 
you know, figure mm. and, and got, got yeah, and got a, a royalty out of it. Um, so it's a shame that it left so, so much acrimony. In Progo yep. Horror, we have with the Water Shadow Power, and that, that did really make the sound, didn't it, of, of the mm-hmm. Water Shadow Power? Yeah. The, the, the organ sound, and he didn't get, I think he won his case in the end. Yeah. Against I think Gary so. Brooker and Keith Reed, but yeah, because he'd yeah. done it too late, he didn't get any previous royalties well, for it. Or something. They, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Is it Alan Hull? Lindisfarne, who. Lindisfarne, Alan Hull, yeah. Is that, who, who's mandolin really makes Maggie May? You know, it's, it's a. It's a, an average pop song with it that, you know, mm. figures through it. And he was obviously, you know, real because he didn't even get a name check on the album sleeves, you know. He just was that I bloke out of Linda's one. I didn't even know Alan Hull played the mandolin on it. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's bad, that's, isn't yeah. It? I didn't know that. Huh? Well, that that's his whole point, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, like the, it's like the sax break in, in Baker Street, you know. yeah. yeah. It's just thought so about this last week. It, Raphael, yeah. Raphael Ravenscroft, yeah. Yeah. Who, who decided so, in his infinite wisdom to take um, studio a check fee. for £27 or something <laughs> rather than take the uh, subsequent royalties? Uh, yeah. Jerry Rafferty probably earned about 80 grand a year from it, but he Aye. took the £27 in advance. It's and so apparently sad. the check bounced. But <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Apparently so. That's just a shame, and so many. But I think REM had the right way that they just everything came out was an REM composition, mm. you know. And then no one's going to, nobody's going to be, you know. I think a lot of bands do that as well now. As a and, 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 yeah, and they won't be fighting to get their songs on the albums to get that. You know, it's it's whatever the best ones are. Mm. So okay, okay. So, so that was the got, white. That was the, the white by, was it by the band or was it by the staple singers? Then? I, I, the band and the staple singers version, That's I think, would them. be the ones that you, you would go for. Now, I wanted to um, uh, include this one again. It's, it's apologies, it's a wee bit obscure, but if you're looking for a song about uh, somebody driving their car in America while enjoying a few beers and hitchhiking. Uh, it picks up a hitchhiker who happens to be the son of God, who then subsequently uh, robs him, steals his car, and drinks his beer. Now, you've probably been sitting thinking, I need to hear that song. <laughs> and it's by a guy called Terry Allen, uh, again from Texas, totally unknown over here. And the song's called Give Me a Ride to Heaven. And it was tucked away in his album called. Uh, uh, Bloodlines, which is a, a great album, but it's it's tying in with my theme of songs that seem almost kind of wacky, or, or theme wise. But if you listen to it, you'll just hear one of the best songs you've ever heard in your life. Um, so again, the, the the tale of it is just the guy who's who's hitchhiking and he gets carjacked with Jesus. Simple as that. Who who would not love a song about that? When was it? I think it probably came out between about uh, 82, 83. Okay. And it was ta- the, the, the full name is Terry Allen and the Panhandle Mystery Band. And it's off the album Bloodlines. Okay. 
an American Texas country and outlaw kind yes. of singer songwriter, painter, yes. and conceptual artist from Lubbock, uh, all around, all around, yes. But uh, it was it was off the genre that was maybe loosely you would have with Green and Red, and the Long Riders and bands like uh, Wad Al Canal Diary, things like that. You know that sort of uh, Jason know, and Scorchers, yeah. yep, that whole. Yeah, thing. I know Jason and Scorchers, yeah. yeah. It, Southern was, rock. Yep, it was it was more Terry had a wee bit more sort of Texas Mexican flavour to it, but it's a, a tremendous song. It's one of these songs my wife famously likes one percent of my record collection and will not tolerate much, but she loves giving me a ride to heaven because it's yeah, like okay. it's like something Doctor Hook would have done in the early seventies, you know that kind of Doctor Hook know, in the medicine show in the medicine show days. yeah before they, before they got into film Before they got into the pop songs, yeah, yes. yeah. Looking at a photo of this Terry Allen, I must admit I'm unfamiliar with him. I definitely will have to dig this one out as well. He looks suspiciously like Jerry Springer. <laughs> yeah, he didn't this much at the time. Terry, yeah. Terry. <laughs> Terry, Terry, <laughs> Terry. But he's, he's, he's one of these that occasionally I'll post on my Twitter feed, you know, what I'm listening to, and... The people who like him will, will go into, you know, absolute, you know, states of ecstasy to see another Terry Allen. But people who like him tend to love him. Um, unfortunately, there's not that many. He's one of these great sort of lost, sort of southern, you know, kind of gems that you have to really look, really look for. But he's still alive, isn't he? Still alive, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's still, he's still going. I think he's still touring, but they just get smaller and smaller gigs, you know. Uh, and and I think they get a wee bit more sort of centred around where they live. They don't do world tours anymore. Or anything oh, like that. Okay. Yeah, so, he's getting. He's approaching eighty years old, actually. Yeah, yeah, he's he's he's, he's old. But again, it's a great one if you're just looking for something to go into YouTube and play. Give me a ride to heaven. Yeah. Okay. So and finally, one, last one. I thought, right, we need to go out with a bang. We need to go out with. I think we need to do it with a funeral song. It's not so, Kate Bush, is it? It's not Kate Bush. Just, just for Stinky Pete. It's no, Kate Bush. It is. Yeah, I, I give a, 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 a inordinately a large amount of time to compiling my my funeral playlist. I'm sure that says a lot more about me than anything else. And I always thought I would have Elvis Costello's "I Can't Stand Up for Falling Down." Yeah. Uh, you know, which I thought was a good, good choice. Uh, and we'd probably try and have something nice and obscure like Nick, uh, Nick Cave or Nick Drake or something like that. Yeah. I've decided that as they're, as they're pushing the study, several men are pushing the coffin. <laughs> several men uh, and a lot of machinery are pushing the, the coffin into to the hot bit. Uh, I would like this last one to be playing, and it's just probably the most melancholic ballad uh, that just has never been repeated. And it's uh, Fairport Convention, and it's Who Knows Where the Time Goes by Sandy Denny doing the vocals. Now, it's one of these songs that if, if, if you don't really like this or can't see the beauty in it, then we've got nothing to say. You know, it's just... There's no, there's no uh, shades of grey with this. It's just a wonderful song, and it's such a a great 
theme as you get older, you know, where we, we've been talking tonight about songs that are, you know, 40 years old and they seem like a blink of an eye. Do you know what I mean? Mm, I do. But but this one, as I say, who knows where the time goes, just seems to sum it up in, in one line. And then they sort of hearing and they sand his voice. And I, I was reading Richard Thompson's biography just lately and, he, you know, they knew at the time how special it was. Practically, she, she sang it to them fully formed, and it was just one of these, you know, mouth open moments, as if to say. Because she was in this band with all these crack musicians, you know, the, the Fairports were, you know, they were all players, and this woman could absolutely hold her own with them in any way, shape, or form. She could drink with them, she could curse with them, and she could write as good songs as them. Uh, very tragic, short life. A solo career never really took off in the way that I think she thought it would. And most people, fine solo albums though she made, they were never the big, you know, blockbuster breakthrough chart albums that she probably deserved. Um, and tragically, a young life after a, an accident and a fall at home. Mm. Uh, and she had, there's a few hers that I was going to going to pick. You know, I'll keep it with mine. Meet me on the ledge, uh, stuff like that. That she sings about. I think who knows where the time goes. Just says pretty much everything when you get to that modelling part of your life and think closer to so the when, outdoor. When did she she wrote it? When did she write the song then? She she wrote it just uh, no long after joining the band. It's on. Uh, Oh, what albums on? It's on on, on half bricking, which it's is on half on half bricking. On half okay. bricking, yeah. I know. That I'm looking at the song here, and I've, I've brought up an album in '97, which was their twentieth album, um, called "Who Knows Where the Time Goes." Yeah, that's probably a um, compilation. Yeah, it's a mixture of studio and live tracks. Yeah, recorded. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. But the live, been dead the live tracks must have been from '97, actually, but obviously. Yeah. Sandy Denny wasn't playing with them at the time. No, no, she was gone. Sorry, to just, one of my heroes, Roy Wood, is on instrumentation on this particular album. Ah, nice. Well, I mean, she's famously, I think, the only female singer that sings on a Led Zeppelin album as well. Yes, thank you, uh, which, which is, is, it the, uh, yes. is it the battle over Evermore? I don't know Led Zeppelin. Yes, it is on the on Led Zeppelin four. Yeah, uh, so she's. She's one of these women, just has that voice that just once in a generation. A lot of tragedy, obviously. Uh, she wasn't in the band, the Fairport van that famously crashed on the way back for a gig. Mm-hmm. And Richard Thompson's girlfriend died and the drummer died through it. She was travelling separately, but obviously devastated the band at the time. They were, they were kids, I think. Richard Thompson was like something like 19 when it happened. Uh, mm. And she's always had that wee sort of fatalistic sort of halo or shadow of death sort of hanging over. I think you know she was she was never destined to be uh, too long for this for this uh, mortal realm. But it's just a heartbreaking song and and one that uh, say so should get them all the tears flowing when the when the four strong men managed to push my coffin along the rollers. <laughs> I have to I have to start thinking about my funeral list. Actually, I do know that I want to have uh, I, want, I want to have Hey Jude played actually at my at my funeral. Well, that's a nice sing along, Colin, for when they're you know they're, they're getting yeah. ready to dispatch you. Is, is either that or Roll Over, Lay Down by Status Quo? What, what do you think? <laughs> you need one to, of the two. 
I think that's too classic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Fairports, I, I, I remember, I did have a hit with C2 Duapati. Yeah, I yeah, think that's on yeah. Opera King as well, isn't but, it? Yeah, Bob Dylan one, which was covered in French and purely on a one. Yeah. So, why don't we do it in French? And they had no. to get, I think it was after a gig, and they had to get a couple of French speakers in to do a translation for them, uh, who argued on some of the, the translation. So they were never 100% sure if it was... It was right. If you got to go, go now. It was the yeah, version of the right. music. Yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. That's quite, a, that's quite a funereal. Funereal, is that the right word? Yeah, I know. Funereal. Aye. Sort of song, yeah. You've got to go, go now. You've got to go now, yeah. Or, or you've got to stay. <laughs> but it's, that's the 20 tracks that I think, you know, uh, trapped on the desert island with my streaming device on my turntable. You don't uh, want them. I'd, I'd keep them there and, and never really... Uh, uh, want for anything more? Uh, who could argue? It's your list, and this is the thing. Some some interesting selections there. I didn't know you were such a Fairports Richard Thompson. Uh, yeah, fan, I do. I do. Again, relatively late. I think if you were a, if I looked at my record collection five years ago, there wouldn't have been one record on it by them. Uh, but I think I had on a whim somebody had said to check out on Half Bricking, and I, I played it and I loved it and. The, the other album is uh, what we did on our holidays, which is a wee bit overlooked. That's every bit as good. Uh, and you can, uh, people say you can hear a band invent a whole genre. Uh, you probably can, but I think there's just really, really good, strong songs and a really, really good band played slightly different. Mm. Uh, it is folky, but not in a, there is a bit of the sort of fiddly D. Matty Groves and sort of that, yeah, that kind of thing. It's not all dancing around a maypole, is it? No, but there's a bit of that, and it did take me a wee while to get past that, you know, but it's like a week, like Astro Weeks with Van Morrison. It's so strange the first time you hear it. Mm. I don't believe you really enjoy it. It's like eating Chinese food. You have to persevere, and, and, and it's you'll get your own reward after a wee while, I think. The Chinese did that. Did they always take ten minutes to prepare meals in those days as well? In the nineteen yes. seventies, it's always ten minutes, ten minutes isn't it? <laughs> even quicker, minute, okay? Yeah, <laughs> even Strange. quicker because there was no there was nobody else in the shop then at that time. You know, uh, I think if you ever had one in a wee tiny place like like Bonnybridge when I when I grew up, there was a great deal of suspicion that anybody that didn't want to just eat steak pie five nights a week. <laughs> yeah. the traditional Scottish fare. I'm, a broth, some broth. A broth, aye, a broth. It's a Scottish uh, word, isn't it? A broth. I, I don't like broth, but it's yeah, right. I is. Well, thank you very much, Gordon. That was, as I say, an interesting selection, and um, you never know. I might squeeze some. I have a radio show, a radio show now on CBW Radio. Maybe I'll play some of these songs in in, in well, a few days, the next few uh, days. I would, I would, uh, yeah, I would like you to maybe try the Jimmy Webb, P.F. Slow, and, and and I think particularly you would love Vincent Blacklight in 1952. Mm. So uh, maybe some I'm of sure the other I'll ones. Get I'll get them on. I'll get them on. Definitely. Perfect. Thanks, Colin. Okay, no problem. Well, thank you very much. Um, you've stood in for Stinky Pete admirably. You'll uh, be back next week. Maybe. Wherever, yeah, I think you'll be back next. So hopefully, we're going to do a Springsteen show. We'll talk amongst, uh, we'll talk amongst ourselves, see whether or not we can get a third on. I can see why not, to be honest. As long as we don't spend about half an hour on each track, yeah, we, yeah. we might, we might be okay with three. 
because I said, Pete and I, if we do, we can just sort of read off our 10 favorites, a bit like I do with listeners when they send us their favorite single yeah, yeah. or whatever. I'll do is read them off, and people will say, Oh, yeah, there's that one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, okay, uh, this podcast will be posted to all the usual fora. Um, whether it be uh, Apple Podcast, Anchor, uh, Breaker, Spotify, all of the, all the usual ones, and uh, as, as Stinky Pete now repeats what our previous co-host Slim Nook used to say: "One day we will be on the BBC, but we're still not on the BBC. You never know. One day it will happen. One day, One day it will happen." Um, you can see me. I'll be back next week with whoever it might be, whether it be Gordon. He might be back with us if he's around. Stinky Pete. We've also got uh, Jackie and John hopefully coming on. That will be confirmed during the next seven days. Catch me on the radio tomorrow at 9 a.m. in the UK. That is uh, on CW Radio. Request songs. Gordon's already requested two or three, so I'll try to put those in at some point. If not tomorrow morning, then it will be a Friday morning. And um, yeah, that'll that'll be it for the time being. So thanks everyone for watching, listening. I suppose it's time for me to say it's good night from me. That's good night from him. Not off. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs>